Welcome to I See What You Mean, a podcast about how people get on the same page or don't, or perhaps shouldn't. Today, my guest is Susan Parente. Susan's an engineer by training who consults a lot in agile software development and teaches at several universities. Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lou. It's really great to be here. Very excited about this. I've listened to your other podcast. Ah, thank you. And I, uh, I've, I'm excited to be on this side of it and uh, have a great conversation. We're going to have a good conversation. I know we are. Why don't you start by giving listeners a short bio about yourself? You've got quite a background with a lot of letters behind your name. Yes, I got a lot of letters. Um, I teach certification, so that's why I have a lot of those letters. <laughs> and I also think uh, certifications are a fun game um, into continuous <laughs> education. Yeah. Um, I know this seems kind of silly, but this this is also a selling point. So people will often want to take a class from a person who thinks it's fun to get certs because you don't want to take a class from someone who doesn't think it's fun. <laughs> guess Beautiful. what? I love it. It won't be fun to take that class. So This is true. Um, <laughs> so I'm an engineer by education, which we were just talking about, a mechanical engineer for my undergraduate and engineering management for my graduate. I do actually use a little bit of engineering management, and I definitely am an engineer. I'm a problem solver. And nowadays, it's 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 become more, I guess, appreciated. And I'm mm -hmm. mostly in the IT space and mostly surrounded by computer science majors. I teach MBA students, but I don't have an MBA, which is kind of funny. <laughs> Okay. So what I do now, I'm I specialize. I'm a project manager, program manager, sometimes portfolio management, and I specialize in risk management, which yeah. includes both project risk management and cybersecurity. Okay. So I've, I've been in the federal government space for a few decades now, and then my other big area and passion is agile project management. Right. And with all of that, my greater passion is teaching. So mm -hmm. I do. I do consulting in the contract arena, and these really play off each other really well, surprisingly well. And then, honestly, every client experience I have always seems to have some educational sure. part to it. Tell me a little bit about that, because you had consulted for some time in your career before you began teaching, and then you told me in the prep call that teaching became your passion. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's kind of funny. I, I fought it a little bit, which I find very interesting. So my mom was a teacher. She taught special ed, middle school, New York City public school system, which probably was a little horrendous mm -hmm. at, even at, at the times, time. I'm sure. Um, I went into school with her a few days when I when I was off for some reason and she wasn't. So I was actually like in the classroom with her. And I probably at that point where, you know, you just like, I don't want to do what my Pretty, parents did. Right, right, right. It, it didn't matter right, if it was good, right, bad, or indifferent. Right. I mean, she was a great teacher. Her students loved her. Yeah. I was like, I don't want to do this. And my my sister also went into special ed. She was actually in management first. And then, um, oh, like, okay. retail management. And so I thought to myself, I want to be a teacher. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a teacher. Okay, so that's in the background. So I'm doing consulting work. And I'm doing, you know, different contracts in the government. And people would come up to me and say, hey, Susan, I want to write a project charter. Do you have an example one? Oh, sure, I do. Sure. Uh, project management plan. Sure, there's this. I would implement software systems. And at the end of that, we'd have to do training. Yeah. So I would develop the training. I deliver the training, all of that. And then at some point, I literally had people standing outside my office with questions. <laughs> like there was actually a little bit of a line. Not all the time, not every day, but there were times when there was a line. And it was no brainer to me. Like I didn't have to look anything up. It was just in my head. And I right. was like, okay, we'll do this, do this, do that. And I mean, I think at that point I became like a leader in the project management field, okay. which was a really good feeling. Cause I always wanted to make a difference and have an impact on people. Okay. 
So that was like a great thing. So then slow, I think that's the start of where the teaching training thing came in, but sure. I didn't realize that at the moment. Yeah. You so just kind of eased into it that way. Yeah. So it, it, it it's very interesting. I, I'll, I think sometimes people think people get out a whiteboard and make a decision about what to do with their life. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it works that way. I think life comes at you and you respond to it in a certain way. Sure. And then at some point you do make a decision, but that doesn't, that's not necessarily a definitive decision. So I actually yeah. even made a decision to teach before I would even call myself a teacher. So, so I'll move up, move forward a little. So eventually I, I quit working for a company and decided mm. to work for myself, okay. which I actually explain to people as like, I'm a skier. And when you're at this, the steep, steep slope, the one where once you go down, there's no way back up. It's that steep. My skis are hanging off the edge and I give it that last mm -hmm, push. Mm -hmm. And that's how I felt. And there's like the butterflies in your stomach <laughs> when I said, I'm quitting my job and I sure. didn't have another job to go to. Sure. I was literally quitting my job to start my business. Sure. And there was no way for me to kind of do it on the part time or whatever, because non-disclosures and non-competes and right. all this. Right. So I, just, I couldn't do that. Yeah. I basically just so had enough all or money. Nothing. Yeah, like my safety net thing of money, my little yep. egg, and I went ahead and did it. And so when that happened, I, you know, told people as many people, Hey, I'm doing consulting work now. I'm 1099. Da, 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 right, right. Right. So I'm at a dinner after a benefit and the, the woman who worked with my friend, her husband was there mm -hmm. and her husband was the provost at the hmm. university, the first university <laughs> I taught at. And I started talking about project management. I told him I had my own business, which didn't have like a lot of work, but I had my own business. And what I started doing is I started doing pro bono work mm -hmm. so that I could verbally declare I have a business and I have work Clients. and I have contacts. I wasn't making money, but you got to start somewhere. And that's how I started. And it, I'm really glad I did because it, it allowed me to speak my future into being. Yeah, there really you go. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. Literally speak your future into yeah. being. Yeah, literally. So so I was working at that point too on like growth and development stuff. And and basically it's very, you be careful of your words. And there are a lot of like motivational speakers who will tell you this, like Tony Robbins, even like Joel Olstein. They will say like the words that you say mm -hmm. create your life, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. You can't say like, I'm going to, I'm trying to have a bit, like you just say, I have a business. And in order to have, for me to feel good about that, I was doing work. So I actually, one of my friends has a, has an organization, Harmony for Kids, mm -hmm. where she raises money mm -hmm. to buy instruments for New York City uh, children to okay. get them instruments, to get them involved music. in passion, okay. do music. Yeah. And so, so I was actually writing a business plan for her business, okay. which is still exists today, which is like cool. almost a decade and a half. That's cool. Later. Yeah, very cool. So anyway, so I was doing things that actually mattered. So the gentleman next to me happened to be the provost at the university. He said, would you be interested in teaching? Uh -huh. And I kid you not, Lou, inside my head is like, hell no, I right. don't want to teach. Right. I'm not a teacher. I want to do that. And the words that came out of my mouth is sure. Uh -huh. You know why? Because I didn't have anything else going on. Right. I had to right. get something. Right. I want to make money. Right. right. Yeah, right. So then I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. It's a resume builder. It'll look cool. I don't think I'll like doing it, but I'll do a class <laughs> or two. Like, and it'll can't hurt. It can't hurt anything. You know, little did I know it's like, just try a little piece of chocolate. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> you the whole, the whole bag. Let, yeah, me, let exactly. me pause you for a second because I want to. I want to go back to something and then pick up where we are right now. 
central to the show, central to the coaching that I'm standing up, you know, I'm rebranding, I'm reimagining and rebranding a consulting practice. And mm-hmm. be careful with your words. Your words create your future. Your words create your future. There's a line I'm thinking of from a book that I like a lot called Meaning by um, Harry Proch and Michael Polanyi. And there's a line in it that says, we dwell in the meanings that we can comprehend. And I love that idea of how words create that reality. Mm. Right? A reality. Mm -hmm. And you said, I spoke. I spoke my future into being. Into being. So tell me a little bit about your, your thoughts and your experience, whether consulting or maybe that maybe this is something you do in teaching. You teach in teaching or you 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 it might not be the subject of the course, but you might be showing to students, hey, think about how we think, how we communicate, how we create a reality with right. Tell me a little bit more about that, because I think that's a fascinating area. You know, I if it if I'm inspired at the moment, if I if I'm talking to a student, you know, a lot of times I teach project management courses, I teach agile courses, uh, I teach risk management, and sometimes in a moment, a student will say something that I, I I'll feel inspired by, and and I don't know how else to say it. Like I don't I don't think you can have a real conversation if you have an idea how it's going to end up when you start. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I think that there's a conversation is a dance. If I get on a phone with a student and they say, you know, I'm thinking about taking a certification. I get a lot of those calls. Mm. Oh, okay. Okay. Which certification do you think? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know, professor, which one do you think I should get? <laughs> tell you until you tell me like, what is it you want to do? Right. Like right. what is it you're doing? Right. What would you like to right. do? And let's chat. And so like, and then in that moment, like a student will say something like, well, what I'd really love to do uh, is, uh-huh. but uh-huh, then uh-huh. there's like the but, uh-huh. and the but is the thing that they're actually stopping themselves. Uh-huh. Like the, the universe is not stopping them. And if so I was talking to a student who was like, she wanted to do this, she wanted to do that. She, she, she There were like four things she wanted to do. And, and she's like, well, but I guess I got to pick one. But I guess I got to pick one. I said, um, actually, you don't, because what you just described are all things I'm currently doing right now in this moment. <laughs> You do not have to pick one uh-huh. and you could pick all of them, maybe not all together. That might At be a little, time. Right. but, but you could literally do all of those things in your life and it would not be dis- dis- discontinuous with one another. Right. Like it would actually work. Right. They, they build off each other. Cause she's like, well, I want to teach. I want to do consulting. One day I want to own my own business. And I'm just like, you, you just kind of describe like my whole career. Your life. Yeah. Right. That, that I didn't, as much as I say, yes, I, I spoke my company into being there there are things that i created from my speech and there are things that just showed up and i saw them sure, as opportunities sure sure and i think that it's it's a combination of the two i think that that your that your your purposeful life i guess if you would call it that sure is a combination of what shows up for you and how you respond to it like i don't want to teach i don't want to teach but i said sure Right. And right. it took the teaching job and what you create. Like right. I told myself for years, one day I'm going to have my own business. One day I'm going to have my own business. And I, I pegged it out like, I don't know, probably yeah. five ten years farther than when I actually did it. Sure. And, and the thing that stopped me, my butt was that I should be 40 <sighs> by the time I started my own business. Interesting. Well, I started my own business 35, I think. Yeah. So, but, and I, and I remember thinking to myself, am I too young for this? 
and I was not, and I could have done it sooner. And I don't know what made me think that like, you have to be a certain age to start your own business. Who knows where those things come from? They come from somewhere, but they come, but the thing is, and I'm using the word, but now too, but the, the thing is, is that we stop ourselves we do. more than anything else, more there's than anything a, else. And, and you can say, if there's somebody in your life who is stopping you on a regular basis, you may want to not talk to them as much. But for the most part, the stopping comes inside of ourselves. It doesn't come from outside. And you'll also find if it comes from inside of yourself, other people around you start repeating it because you're actually telling them to. Mm-hmm. You know, I would do this, but, and then people are like, well, you know, I understand. Yeah, you can't do that because of that. Yeah, like, right. Like they're trying to be empathetic. Yeah. Yeah, they'll be empathetic. So like, so what shows up is what you expect in life, right? And so one of the things that I've been very fortunate in my career is, although I've had some like thoughts about what I want to do, I've always been open for, I don't really know yet. Like, I don't really know what yet what I want to do when I grow up. And I have this thought that I'm going to teach until I'm 72 (laughs) and I might retire like early, but semi-retire, but I don't really know. Maybe something else will come up and I'll want to do that. I just don't know. It's and useful. I actually think, it, I think it's great. It's useful to have that much of a plan or an outline of a plan because you move toward it. But as things emerge, then you you look at them as opportunities. You can go, you can pass. There's a book I have that I got both my girls called Write It Down, Comma, Make It Happen. And I don't know if it's based on much actual research, but it's a cool read where the author goes through many stories of people who wrote down for themselves some pretty aspiration, highly aspirational things. Mm-hmm. But when it's written down and you look at it from time to time, you don't put it in a drawer and not look at it for 10 years. You keep it in front of you. You can adopt a mindset of how. How will I make that happen? What are steps toward that? And mm-hmm. you might achieve what you wrote down. You might Something else might emerge and you achieve something else. But I know one thing for sure, at least this is how I think of of life. If you don't write it down or you don't try to make it happen, it's not going to. And if mm-hmm. it happened by chance, you wouldn't be ready for it because you had done no preparation. There's something about, now let's talk, let's shift this. Let's talk for a minute about in a team environment. And then we'll go on, we'll go back to teaching because I want to get, I want to connect some of these things to not teaching project management or teaching agile software development, but education almost in a Socratic way when you you help people discover things about themselves but take let's shift from the individual to a team environment where two or more people are having the kind of realizations that you and I are talking about two or more people are having uh, maybe through conversation they're recognizing constraints that they put on themselves or I recognize you recognize a constraint I put on myself Mm -hmm. and there's good conversation techniques to to do something about to address that. And mm-hmm. by addressing it, what you want to do is unpack the assumptions and, and things behind it. So mm-hmm. if I said, if I said, if I said to you, oh, a client will, you know, a customer will never accept that, you might want to know, tell me more. Tell me why. I might have two or three things I say in response, which from an engineer standpoint, those become things like, okay, problem solution. Maybe you're maybe mm-hmm. you're making maybe you're making a fair point. Let's think about what we could do about it. Maybe something, maybe nothing, but don't not have the conversation. Yep. Don't not talk about it. We go nowhere if we don't talk about it. So if you don't think the customer will stand or you don't think you could do that in your, you know, in your lifetime, or you think you gotta be this age or this height or this whatever, tell me more about that. And then once they start to unpack that, options arise. Or they mm-hmm. can. 
So how, how, how have you seen that in work settings and groups? Well, you're right in that those things come up in conversation. Mm -hmm. If we stay in our head and we stay by ourselves and I mean, that conversation, you know, you could read something and that could have you think a different way. Right. And then you might, that might shift your mind. But if you're just literally left with your mind, I'm, I'm not sure that you would get there. If you're practicing some form of meditation, you might, that might be a way, but that, that still is meditation is like getting an engagement with the world. It's just in a quiet space, right? Yeah. So it's in some ways it's kind of, so you learn to practice self-awareness. Yeah, exactly. Through self-awareness, but more often than not, it, it shows up at a conversation with somebody. And that's why I think discourse is really important. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the things that I really like about education is we're always talking. I teach the same classes. One of the reasons I never wanted to be a teacher was, oh my God, if I have to teach the same thing every day, I'm like, I'm going to want to just like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm over. But it, it's not the same. It's not the same because, Interesting. because when you're teaching, you're teaching in a space that people are creating with you. And I, as a teacher, I facilitate learning. I create a space for learning. Now I know stuff, sure. but that's a book thing. What has people learn is people are not afraid because if you've ever been afraid, what you do is you will crawl back to your base knowledge. You will not do something new and innovative when you are afraid. I know this from teaching skiing. Um, I've taught some sports, some other sports like uh, golf right now. I do something with first tee. was a ski instructor for many years, basketball coach. Like I've done a few of those different things. Okay. Nobody, kids or adults, will learn when they're afraid. And so I, it became very obvious to me in skiing because of all those things, sure. the most fear is in skiing, right? Sure. I remember yeah. people like, well, I don't want to fall. I'm like, you don't want to fall. I'm like, skiing is falling. It's a controlled fall. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to start up at the top of the mountain or the hill and you're going to fall the whole way down. <laughs> I'm going to teach you how to fall in a way that, that makes you happy and your butt's not on the ground. But if you don't want to fall, you might be in the wrong place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's it. I like that reframing. Yes, you're going to fall, but it's going to be a controlled fall, which means you don't get injured. You get back up and keep skiing. Yep. Yep. But and, for... and, and if you do have to fall, like I know a good way to fall. Right. Because there's good ways and bad ways right. to fall. Right. So there's a little aha moment in that. Yeah. So someone's, yep. let's say someone's gone to the mountains because they're going with people and it's not really what they were going to do, what we would have chosen to do. So they they're out there. And they, they, they've got their ambiguous or their, I'm sorry, they're ambivalent. They would, I'd yeah. like to ski, but I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to, I don't want to fall. I'm going to make a yeah. fool of myself. Those are the kinds of things we're talking about that we mess with ourselves. Right? Yes. It's like our, yes. our heads, our heads mess a with our lot, heads. <laughs> a lot of that in skiing shows up. I mean, it shows up other places too. Like I've done hang gliding. There's a, there's a little fear in that. Sure. Drive a race car real fast. You're like, if something goes wrong, right. this could be my last few moments on earth. Like right. you've get a, you get a lot of momentum, a lot of speed, a little bit of weight. You multiply the two. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. You could, <laughs> you could watch your life fly by in 30 seconds. So, right. You know right. What I mean? So, okay. So project team, just think of a project team and where, how would you lead? Let me ask you this question. This ask the question this way. How would you lead a conversation that was effective in the way you and I were talking about where you what would you listen for that were cues and how you mm -hmm. follow the cue to try to, un what would you do? How would you describe it? Unpack it, open it up, challenge yeah, it. Yeah. I don't mean challenge it like, you know. Yeah, like in a, in a, in a, hmm, that's interesting. Like if somebody said, I would do this, but 
oh, that's interesting. Why do you say that? Right. Just kind of get curious. Like, um, what do they say? Beginner's mind? Like, yeah. approach it with beginner's mind? Like, yeah. I don't know. Um, right. I got to tell you, if I, as an engineer, can approach something with beginner's mind, so can you. That is one of the most difficult things you can ask a left brain engineer problem solver to do is approach something with beginner's mind. If you're not sure about that, you can ask my husband and he will tell you. I wish my wife approached things with beginner's <laughs> mind because I often don't, but that is my default behavior. Right. My default behavior will only get me what I have so far in life. It will never get me to the next spot. Every Everything that I have, which is great, and I have it because of how I am today. And to get to that next level, you know, somebody once told me this in leadership development course, he said, the things that got you to where you are right now are not the things that you need to get to the next level. Mm. And what I walked away from that is, you know what? I can solve some problems. I'm quick to think about things, but what I'm missing is actually listening to people, listening for someone's actual experience. And, and I will tell you my success in the last decade has been listening to people. Like I started my business and I was like, Oh, elevator speech. How do I sell this? How do I sell that? And I was mm -hmm. like, I'm getting nowhere. And I was like, you know what, what if I just meet with interesting people and talk to them about what problems they're having and mm -hmm. what's going on. And maybe I can't help them, but somebody else can. But you know what people like to do? They like to talk like to, to talk. about themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they do. I mean, that's why you asked me to come on here to talk. And I'm like, why wouldn't I? <laughs> Especially extroverts. We love to talk about ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I started listening for well, what's you, going on. You said something and, very important there. I want to I want to highlight someone made that comment to you what what's gotten you to this point isn't what will take you to the next point and you used the example when you started the business yep you were kind of in pitch mode you were talking and you noticed that it wasn't working and so the first thing to do is to observe mm -hmm. right you're you're the, the pitch is a means to an end and yep. if it's not working you have to ask yourself mm, is it the right means to the end is it the right means to an end in some circumstances, but not, you just have to ask, you have to notice this isn't going the way I thought it would and ask yourself questions. That's an analytical act, act right? Mm -hmm. But then you said something that was the key. What if, what if I just talked to interesting people about the problems and listened? That, mm -hmm. what, that what if is the pivot point. Mm -hmm. That what if gets you out of where your head was which is where we, it's got to be somewhere. We start, but yep. to a different place, asking different questions. Actually, what I think is happening is you're incorporating information that you operated on the environment. You were pitching people. You watched what happened in the environment. You incorporated the data, right? Mm -hmm. You incorporated the information back in and maybe ran another experiment. Maybe you may have another hypothesis and run it at a different way to see what happens. That what if, mm -hmm. though, is where the, the turn happens and you try something else. Yeah. And it was very interesting. So for one, I felt less pressure. Mm. And my guess is they felt less pressure. <laughs> and then I can actually be who I want to be, which is somebody who makes a difference. So. Well, I can see you being have... very engaged in the conversation, too. If you asked, you, you, you just would want to talk. You could be at an airport gate. You weren't selling them anything. You're just talking and yep. you would enjoy the conversation. Yep. If it exactly. so happened that you could help them, cool. Yep. But either way, you're going to enjoy the conversation.
it causes an approach motivation more than an avoidance motivation. It causes mm. somebody to want to come in rather yep. than pull back. Okay, so they're not being defensive and they're not there's no fear. They're not protecting themselves. The right? So we, we can create, we can learn when there isn't fear. And that's so fear fear shows up for everybody all the time, different different things. Right. Fear of snakes, fear of losing oh, yeah, your yeah. job, fear of getting in trouble. I mean, I, I do now I'm doing like video recordings of stuff and I am I'm I'm so behind. I could say it's because of how much time I have, but it literally is like, <laughs> I don't want to look at myself recording. Like, I'm just like, oh God. And it is literally, it is stopping me sure. from making the next move in my career. And sure. I'm, I'm, I'm at the point where it's, it's not like a skill set thing. Right. Yeah. It's like, a mindset it's thing. <laughs> like, it's like, I, I need like a psychologist or something. I need somebody <laughs> to just be like, Eat! like, it's just that little thing. And then boom, I'll just be talking and I won't really care. It, I could talk in front of 500 people. I have no fear and no anxiety about that. Interesting. But if I hit record and I'm looking at a computer, I'm looking at my face, I'm just like. You're distracted by, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, oh God, I don't want to look at me. So then people are like, well, then don't look at the camera. And then I'm like, well, then I might not be centered on the camera. So now right, I got right, other right. So I'm just like, I'm just like, I don't know. That's interesting. I don't know. I got, I got to get over that because literally like, why would I care if you can talk live in front of 500 people, what's the big deal to hit record? Which by the way, if I screw up, I can redo. Right. Well, this less, less the, of a fear. The less signals are different. If you're looking at a crowd, you're picking up on eye contact and facial expressions and you're looking at yourself. It's a, your the signals are different. It's like you almost distract yourself. Your, if your brain focuses for a moment on your own image, you've taken yourself out of what you were the the message or the content you were trying to convey. You just gave me an aha moment. Oh, what's that? So when I'm speaking to 500 people, I'm being with them. Mm -hmm. I'm not being in here in my head. Right. Pointing to my head. Better and you speak. like that extemporaneous speaking. You're yeah. comfortable with that. Yes. So it's yes. a flow and an energy. I, I mean, I always, even as, a, even as a young kid, like I didn't mind the attention of people, you know, so that, that helps. I'm an extrovert that helps, but I was still in my head a lot. And somebody, a wise leader said to me, Susan, when you're talk, you're like in your head. I'm like, well, where the heck else am I going to be? I'm like, <laughs> I'm conveying information. I mean, I'm talking about cybersecurity. I'm talking about project management. I'm talking about technical skills. Like what other part of my body am I using to talk? It made no sense to me, right? right? And she's like, well, come out here. Like she's pointing like towards herself. And I was like, what do you mean? Right. And it's like, literally, you got to understand, like as an engineer, like I am sometimes like, like the guy on Big Bang Theory who has a spot <laughs> on the couch, right? Like I can relate. I'm not saying that I am Shelton Cooper, but I can totally relate to him. <laughs> so she's like, what do you mean come out here? You're like, you're, how am I supposed to not talk with my brain? So she says, Talk to the person in the back of the room. Now, that wasn't like a literal do that. Right. But she was smart because when I did that, the next time I spoke, I all of a sudden got it. I'm not talking to this room. I'm talking to that person in the back, the person sitting right up here next to me, the person over there, the person. So I literally, when I present, will speak to everybody somehow at the same time. Right. Now, while doing that, I'm not thinking about me. Right. I'm not worried. Do my socks match? What do people think about me? Right. And then 
all of that just goes away. Right. And and one of the things that I suggest to people, because I've had people come, I'm really bad at public speaking. Here's the thing, you're getting in your head, right? right. There's people on cell phones. Are they doing other things? Do they like you? Do they not like yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of yeah. people are on a cell phone because yeah. their, their kid's sick at home. It's not personal, right? Fair enough. You come out there and you say, what is it? What is the vision I have, right? So for example, cybersecurity. I presented on cybersecurity to project managers. I wanted project managers to walk away saying, you know what? Cybersecurity is something I'm responsible for. I can't just let the person, the IT cybersecurity expert, be right. in charge of it. Right. I need to be responsible for it because, because it shows up in my project. It shows up everywhere, and I am the first line of defense. I was so committed to that, and I so wanted that for this group of hundreds of people. Mm -hmm. When you're present to that, I don't have time to think about, like, do they notice no. the pimple I got this morning <clears throat> right. on my forehead, right? right. right. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, the focal so point is different. So I suggest that to people, like if you're speaking, there's something you're committed to that is so much greater than who you are. And if you can be in that space, then you'll stop being worried about yourself. Yeah. So you're right. Aha moment. When I'm presenting to myself, not to another person and recording, I am present to myself. Right. I, I, I'm almost like, how could I be present to anyone else? There's no one there. But you could imagine. I could, I could just as easily imagine that other Listeners. people will watch this when I'm creating and recording and I'm looking at my face. I'm not looking at my face. I'm looking at the face of people who are listening to me, who with my words, remarkably, miraculously could literally have a shift in their life. Mm -hmm. cool. And it's literally happened before. I've had people, I've had students in my class say, your class changed my life. So now, I don't think. I don't think I'm wholly responsible for that, but I, I mean, I am as much as everybody in the class is also. And where I right. feel good okay. about that is I create an environment such that a person learned in a way that they can't even unlearn. Like they literally, oh, yeah. the way that they look at the world has now changed and it will never change back. It's an excellent point. Did you and I talk before about Lisa Feldman Barrett? No, I don't think so. Look her up. Lisa Feldman Barrett is a neuroscientist, and she's done she's done research for decades. And, and in the last ten years or so, I think she's become she's got a popular following. She wrote a book called "How Emotions Are Made," mm. which is a constructivist point of view on the origin of emotions. And she talks extensively uh, in that book, and she wrote a smaller, a shorter one that's a little bit less academic called Seven and a Half Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain." That's I love the title. How our, how our brains are rewired by experience. Mm. And there's a there's a page on in her book that shows you've seen this kind of thing before. It's it looks like a Rorschach test. It's a bunch of black and white spaces, mm -hmm. and you can't make out what it is. And then she shows you a different image of it, and you realize it's a bumblebee. Mm -hmm. So she calls it she calls the image that was unrecognizable a blobby bee. And the image that you could see, you know, is a, is a bumblebee. You see the stripes, the black. But she says you go back to the first one and you can't unsee that. Yep. Your brain's rewired to see the representation of the bee in, in that blobby image. That's a powerful experience no matter how we have it. And it can be trite, like a picture of the blobby bee that's just illustrating, used to illustrate a point. It can be very profound. Mm -hmm. So tell me in, about the classroom. Tell me a little bit about how you create the environment where 
let me restate that. There's students there to learn, let's say, project management or something about cybersecurity. How do you create an environment where people, where human beings, do something different in that space? So they're learning about the subject matter. You're going to test them. They're going to have a grade. They're going to, right? Mm -hmm. But something else happens when someone says to you, your course changed my life. It wasn't about project management. <laughs> so tell me about the environment you create and what people bring into it with you. Well, I think I think the Socratic method is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I'm grading an assignment, I can say this is incorrect. This input is not used for this process, like that kind of thing. But when we're in discussion, I'm very careful, especially in a social forum where the rest of the class is listening. I'm very careful to tell somebody they're wrong and say, oh, why do you say that? Where did you see that from? How does that relate to what we learned in such and such chapter? Gotcha. So I'm helping them to get back to where things are and also helping them to think about it. Right. Unfortunately, I think that some of the that creative, mm -hmm. innovative thinking mm -hmm. is, is getting missed in the classroom. I can tell you as a teacher, I often feel pressure around that, even by the students. So the students hit some barrier, something's in their way. And they, they kind of fold like a deck of cards. Like, it's just like, oh, I don't wow. know how to do it. Yeah, I mean, I had a recent thing. It had to do with an application they're using for, for, for project management. And, you know, I get it. There was a problem. Like, they couldn't, they didn't have access to something they should have access to or whatever. But then they're just like, their whole world They stopped, apart. right. Like, okay, let's get creative. First of all, if the assignment is on a project schedule, what I care about is that you can create a project schedule. I'm not so attached to like you can use this software or that software. Like, honestly, I want you to be able to use any software, you know? And so. You could use a whiteboard and a pinch. Exactly. You could actually, you should write it on paper and <laughs> like take a picture of it and I'll grade that. I mean, I, you might have some points off for like format or clarity, <laughs> but the reality is like it just any, anything in the way. I mean, in my program chair said this to me recently. He's like, He's like, oh my gosh, it's like any little thing. And then, and literally it's not just the student that gets yeah. out of sorts. They actually, the whole university gets out of sorts and everybody's like, oh my God, oh my God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? It's just like, okay. So like stuff happens in life, yeah. by the way. Like, yeah. In fact, every day I go to my client site, even though remotely, but I start that, that sure. job, something different happens. Sure. Like, hello, like this is about, this is the world we live in. Like yeah. we have to be agile. We have to be adaptable. So fortunately this, this one class, and, and honestly I've had it in other classes, but the one class, the student talked to me about this. It was, it was agile. And in agile, we talk about a whole mindset right. and it's a shift in right. agile and it really is a shift. And I think the thing, I didn't get to talk to her yet. We, we made an appointment and she missed it. It was a mistake, but anyway, we got to, we got to reschedule. But I think what, what what clicked for her, if I if I get her right, it was around failure. Right. I think what shifted for her is that she she's a very diligent, smart, like throw anything at her, she's gonna make it right kind of person. And the conversation around failure and agile is that failure is just information. Oh, I see, I see, I see. She she that word meant something else to her. Yes. Got, yes. So it was, it was like loaded with some. Yeah. And, so, and by the way, same, same goes for skiing. If you want to learn how to ski and you think you're going to do that by never falling, you, you might possibly not fall, but I can guarantee you, you're not going to get good unless you do fall. Right. 
Yeah. And you don't have to fall miserably, and you don't have yeah. to break anything. to roll down like, the whole mountain. No, you just have no, to. No. But, like, to think that you're going to succeed at something without ever failing. And, I, and, and this is a challenge I have. So, so you create an environment. Will, how do you create the environment where that's, you make that safe? How, what do you tell people? Well, first of all, in discussion, I never grade somebody down for saying something wrong. I only take off points for participation, for, you know, if they need to do research, they need to cite something. But you can't, saying something wrong in discussion does not count against gotcha. you. Gotcha, gotcha. And I don't know how other students, how other professors do it, but I just, it, it makes no sense to me. How, how can I grade somebody down in discussion? The whole point is you don't learn unless you talk about it and you don't learn something unless you get something wrong. Same thing when I teach certification classes, we'll do practice questions. Somebody will get something wrong and they'll be like, oh my gosh, that was so stupid of me. I go, you know what? That's great. I said, because the things you get wrong in this class, you will never get wrong again. <laughs> if it shows up and on I the- tell them that because I'm powerful and I know that if they're not creating their future, I can create it for them too. My words are powerful, Lou, right? Yeah. So if I tell students, yeah. if you get something wrong here, you'll never forget it and you'll always get it right from now on. Then they say, oh, I think she's right. Oh, and yeah. they will. Oh, yeah. One of the chapters in Lisa Feldman Barrett's short book, Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain, one of the chapter titles is, and now i got to paraphrase because I, I, I blanked out, something like, your brain does not work alone. Mm. She talks about how at, at the level of our brains, of our brain's structure and processing, mm-hmm. we influence each other right? at that level. Yeah. At that level. And that, that, that can be very positive that can be very de- negative or detrimental right in 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 the environment you're creating that's safe people feel free comfortable relaxed excited to explore to discover whatever yep. right that's a different yep. feeling a different attitude and what she's saying is your brain you you wire each other's brains to do that and, and it's a positive or beneficial effect you can have on one another if you are in an environment where you're criticized publicly you're called out like you said I, i'll grade them down for not participating more than i grade them down for, for that's incorrect <laughs> like i mean if we're looking you know project management so is pretty technical our brains are do- so right 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 you yeah. can say something wrong, like, well, we execute before we plan. Exactly. Well, right. That's fa- right. right. But I mean, I'm not right. going to say I've never seen that happen, but it's very poor project management. I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> but I mean, there's, there's, there are, there are things that are right and wrong in project management. I mean, one of the reasons I like it is because I am an engineer. Like I, I want to live yes. in a world of things that are right yes. and wrong. Yes. However, the being successful in the world is not about things that are mm. right and wrong. It's, a, it's actually about removing barriers that we create for ourselves, you know, like, but there's something that we stop ourselves about. Yes, mentally. We, we're verbally stopping ourselves. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, you know, what do they say? Um, if you don't believe it could happen, then it certainly will not. Yeah. And if you do believe it will happen, there's a possibility it will. In fact, if your words, your thoughts, and your actions are consistent, your ability to to manifest things, to create things, for things to happen in your life is way better right. than if than if you say, Oh, I would never do that, I could never do that, I wish I could, but I'm just not blah 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 fill in the blank. So these are the kinds of things that you discuss with students where you've you've allowed conversation to open up to be about more than inputs, operations on the inputs, outputs, right? The mechanics of project management, let's say. 
because when you're managing a project, you can use those tools, you could use those things as tools or devices, but you're still doing a human activity, you know? Yeah. There's still hopes and dreams and fears, and there's all those things going on when, as you manage a project. So yeah. Yeah. you're, you're talking about things that are just about being human, interacting with people on teams. Um, being, and, yeah, being successful. Having a successful project means that your team is, is performing yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah. And so you have to have team success to have project success. And not everything you know, went the way not everything went the way the pinbox said it would go, but that's the point that the team recovered yeah. and corrected and Yeah, and and really fundamentally um success really comes down to people. Mm -hmm. Um you want to have the right tools. I mean, if you want to get a nail in the wall, hammer's much better than a screwdriver, mm -hmm. right? So you want to have the right tools to do the things, but at the end of the day, it really does come down to people and I'm finding more and more Trust is a big factor, yeah, yeah. Um, especially in remote remote working. So I do have established trust relationships with people I've never physically met and I may never meet. And it's possible. Yeah. Um, but it's possible through intention. And you certainly I, I believe that I can establish trust with somebody quicker in a virtual scenario because I'm very aware that it's important. It, it is organic. Like you will establish yeah. trust yeah. with people, you know, even, you know, your dog, you got a dog, yeah. I got dog, right? So dog relationships are, it's about trust, right? And they don't have to talk. I mean, there's lots of ways to establish trust. I would say it's easier probably to establish trust with a dog that you're co-located with than a human being that you're right. remotely located with. Right. 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 Um, but I'm very clear of that now. And one of the things that I think makes me an effective project manager and actually effective instructor is establishing trust. And it is definitely more difficult when you're asynchronous and virtual. So like a lot of my classes are asynchronous and virtual, but we do have synchronous touch points. Mm -hmm. So we do have points where we meet together with mm -hmm. the class or there are conversations like the other morning, I had a conversation with the student who was very upset about, about the course, about mm -hmm. the content of the course, the, explanation of the assignments and like all these things and and probably not shocking was a person who always gets a's and wants to get a's mm -hmm. so guess what guess what he doesn't want to do is fail right and failure in his mind isn't an f it's, it's probably a, like a b plus right. right right and so he's dealing with that and so i listen from that perspective i actually when somebody critiques the course content some of the courses I teach, I am actually not responsible for the course content. Oh, interesting. So okay, yeah. I find it easier to hear that criticism because I it, I don't take it personally. Now, what would be really awesome is if somebody was criticizing something I did create and I still didn't take it personally because guess what? In neither case is it personal and in neither case is it helpful for me to be defensive about it. In fact, the, the entire opposite. The moment I am on defense, I stop listening. I shut yeah, down. Yeah. I have fear. I'm not learning. I'm not innovating. And I'm not connecting with the person on the other side. You know, a lot of people are just like, oh, I'm not going to call my professor. Yeah. But I will tell you, when they do call me, I try to make sure that I create a space of openness and conversation. You know, I mean, the best way to make... The best way to take anger away from somebody is make them right. I'm angry the course is broken. Yeah, me too. Right. 
<laughs> what are we going to do about it? Yeah. What can I do to help you? You know what I can do? I can post announcements. I can give you extra information. You can ask me questions in the Ask Instructor. Right. So I, you know, there's these are the things we can do. What I can't do, I can't Just go change in the, course the court, right. and edit it. I like because, that. Because like, we'll lose our accreditation. But here's the things we can do. Yeah. And you're right. It, it shouldn't be. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, it shouldn't be. Well, that, you make a good point. I like that. I do that a lot too. And I like, so when I key on words, if someone says, I don't, I'm mad that the course is broken. I would say, tell me what you mean more about broken. What's broken? How's it mm -hmm. broken? What? If someone uses a word, I take it as a cue that has more meaning behind it. And I just want to know, tell me more. And then sometimes you can do that in levels. But I like yep. that because you get more information and eventually you get the picture. I like to try to understand some, I would like to try to understand what you understand the way you understand it. I don't have to agree yet. We can, yep. That's a different part we can work on. Yeah. But mm. to start, if we're colleagues on a project or if we're, if we're partners in life, I want to understand something the way you understand it because one of the things that's also true behind, a truism behind the kinds of things you are talking about is we all have a perspective and it's not ever complete. We see some things in a situation, but not other things. We we size them up or make something of them in a certain way, but not other ways. It's just human nature. So to share that and to get a different perspective on it is, again, to possibly get more information that I can incorporate into my mind, my schema, or not, but at least I'd like to, to know. Did you ever look, I want to ask you this, did you ever look at The Speed of Trust by Stephen M. R. Covey? This, I think he's the son of Covey. Yes. That's yes, a great I book. actually I use that in one of my courses. Right, it's a great um, book. Of course, yeah. I'm teaching right now on virtual teams. You mentioned and, trust um, being so important, and I I thought of that book. Yeah, it, there's actually there's a YouTube video. So if anyone listening wants to look up, it's um Stephen Covey, and it's the waves of trust. Yeah. And in the beginning of the video, he talks about like a hot dog, um, a hot dog stand person in New York City, and I I love that because I'm I'm from New York. <laughs> I go check that Not out. City, but but he but he. He talks about allowing people to make their own change yeah. and he's able to actually be more productive and get more hot dogs out at lunch, which if you've ever been at, at lunch in New York City, it can get busy even on the hot dog stand line. And um, I'll go check that out. He found that there there might have been a few people that cheated him, but by much more degree, yeah. most people actually gave him a bigger tip. He ended up with more money uh... and they loved the fact that he trusted them. And more people showed up at his hot dog stand and he sold more hot dogs. Like it was just like a win-win-win. And so the interesting thing is I think he says this trust starts with me. Yeah. Right. You have yeah. it like trust starts with you, but that, that doesn't really work. Yeah. It only works if it starts with me. That... Love it. Susan, thank you for joining our podcast today. Oh, thank you. It was a great conversation. I enjoyed our discussion like I did when we were doing our prep call. There's a lot of interesting things that work-related personal related and, and how we, how you brought them together. Thanks. I really appreciate the insights and the great ideas. And you gave me a great aha moment about recording myself on video. Please tell me how it goes. Like when you next time you're filming yourself and if you get your shift your, your mind into that different place, I'd like to, I'd love to know how it goes. So it's, so I think we showed people that, that aha moments can get created when we're engaging in conversation mm -hmm. with no, expectations <laughs> no worries of failure no fear and anxiety and that's that's when we can there you go have moments that's right that environment you try to create mm-hmm
you can actually create that environment even if the other person doesn't want you to create that environment. That's a good point. And that was a really powerful thing. So think about that, like how much how much you, you create that conversation, you create the space for the conversation. Thanks, Susan. Thank you, Lou. All this right. was a really great conversation. I loved it. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. And that's how we see it, my friends. I want to thank Susan for recording today's episode. You can find it at iseewhatyoumean.castos.com, plus all the usual places. Send questions and suggestions through an app. Subscribe and give me a five-star rating unless you can't, in which case, tell me why. And join me next week when we take another look at how to get on the same page and stay there, unless we shouldn't. Bye.